good morning. I'm going to try to keep football references to a minimum. Um, it, it's, it's a rather contentious week, so I'm, I'm going to do what I can. There, there's one, but it's not going to address the elephant in the room, which is not an Alabama <laughs> reference. Um, I, I took, uh, <laughs> I took uh, Ava and, and two of her friends out for dinner and, and ice cream the other night. And, and I, I really love the age with kids where they're incapable of walking in a straight line. You know what I'm talking about? They're incapable of walking in a straight line, and they're incapable of being in a group of, of two or more, and it doesn't become some sort of a game. Uh, you know, like, like it, it doesn't even matter. Like, you just know, you know, give this five seconds, and they're doing something. And, and they did it. So they're walking in this line, and it was like tag, which is always a good place to start, you know. But what you always see with the kids is, is right, that they, they find some sort of home base. And so they're, they're, they're playing tag, and then before you know it, someone goes, home, safe, you can't get me here, no tag back, so whatever it's going to be, and it's a tree, and then, you know, they go five feet, and then it's this car's bumper, and then they go, and it's, it's this bench, and it's like everywhere they go, they find a, this place to, to change the rules to say, um, I, it's home base here, I'm, I'm safe here. And this idea of home and safety, I think, is kind of naturally born in us all. Right? We, we know intrinsically that there's some place in, in a game, in life, something where when I'm home, it's going to be okay. When I'm home, I'm going to be safe. When I'm home, everything will kind of make sense. And from that point, I can go out. Right? From this point, when, when I'm at home, I can go out from there. I, I can play the risky thing. I can try to, to save my friend who got tagged, you know, that, that, that previous round. I can do things from home base, but home base is where I start. And from this place, I can go out from there. We're going to be talking about, in Scripture this morning, where it says that my house will be a house of prayer and seeing that as our home base. How us as a church, how us as the body of Christ, how us are really embodying this idea of being a house of prayer. This is going to be the last week in our Ecclesia series, um, which I hope you've enjoyed. This has been a series where we were looking at the mission, the purpose, the implementation of the church. Why we do this thing. You know, why, why we are, are together in this room now. And it's not ritual. It's not because... You know, we're in the South, and in the South, you're supposed to be in the Bible Belt, and the Bible Belt, this is what you do on Sunday mornings. There, there's some reason why we gather. There's a mission to it. There's a purpose to it. There's a beauty to it. There's an instrumentation to it. And so we were looking at that, and we, we talked about a number of different things, and I won't, I won't go through the whole list of them. They're all on the website. You can find them all. But for me, it, it really took an unexpected turn because I thought it was going to be, as I've said before, I thought it was going to be like a, a mechanics, almost like a, a, a listing of, of attributes. But what the Lord began saying early, early on, he began saying in our, our pre-service prayer times, was that we needed to rethink what, quote-unquote, good church looked like. And I feel like we have made such a cultural attribute of church, and we expect it to be certain things and to, to fit into a certain box, and to actually let it out, to let it be, I think, what it was meant to be, is can, it can be scary even, because you don't know where it's going to take you, and the metrics that we use to kind of judge this thing and say, well, we want to be like that, or we don't want to be like that, it falls to the wayside. And so quickly on, the Lord began using this, I think, to, to birth some things that uh, I got to tell you, I'm still wrestling with in my, in my prayer time. Uh, I took them to Russia with me when I went on that missions trip, and, and I prayed with the people over there about them in Russian, with the translator, mind you. Um, 
And they were so excited to hear them. And they came up to me afterwards. And they're like, that, that idea, the Lord began saying that to me a month ago. And they're like, I, I know there's something here. And we're, we're, we're kind of, I feel like, in this beginning, and this isn't to be like hype in and manipulation or about, you know, oh, look how special we are. But saying I really do sense that there's some unique sense of freedom and purpose and belonging that the Lord is calling us to. And if we try to be Hope Jr., <laughs> we're going to fail miserably. And I don't want to. Um, what we're called to do, who we're called to be, who they're called to be, all these things, there's a unique place in the kingdom of God. And I, I want us to embrace that, hold on to that, and be that is, it's a good thing to be. It's not trying, it's not aspiring to be like anybody else. It's being who we were meant to be. So a big part of this is going to be a house of prayer. Um, this means a lot to me personally, the, the name house of prayer. At the uh, dedication service we had for this uh, location, I mentioned this, and, and you may or may not remember that. You may or may not have been here, but I talked about this idea because when God first called me to be a pastor, um, or I should say when he first called me to serve a church, he underscored the name a house of prayer. Uh, it was just this thing that came to my mind, so much so that my parents, uh, my, my kids' grandparents, they like to give an ornament a year so they can kind of document this year what happened and everything. And so they gave a, a little church building, like, you know, like the quintessential, what's the guy, the, the name of the guy who does the paintings with all Thomas Kincaid? Yeah, it's like a Thomas Kincaid church. Snow on the roof and beautiful, but, but my mom, in, in my, my mom's wonderful fashion, you know, got the, the word house of prayer and just smacked it right there on t- above the door. So, I mean, it, it's not a generic church at all. It's the church that God called me to. It's the church that God birthed, you know, in, in, in my life and that, that Leah and that we, we've come to see here. Um, in all my years in reading books and talking to pastors and hearing wonderful sermons and leadership talks and, and all these things, one thing has motivated me more than any other. And it's probably not what you would expect. It's not some tweetable thing. In fact, I started looking for it again. There was a, a picture that one of my spiritual fathers put on his Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. I don't even know where it was. But he shared this photo, and it just, you know the, these times when you see something, you just, you stop. And there's something there that just grips a part of your soul that, that nothing else has touched in a while. Do you know that feeling? And you, you can't even necessarily say why it is, but you just know that there's something there for me. Like that, that identifies me. And this was a picture of shoes. That was it. It was shoes on the floor, empty shoes. Um, and the, the caption said something simply like, I love this site. You know, the men of the church gathered here at 5 a.m., to, to pray for our community, our families, and our church. And they just took off their shoes. They went into this, this room, and they were just praying. They were just praying. Taking off their shoes, believing that this was holy work, knowing that they needed to, to, to take this with, with sacred uh, reverence, that they needed to walk into the presence of God and say, this work matters. There's nothing showy. There's nothing wise, there, there's nothing that was just uh, oozing of something that you want to call other people to, to tweet and to follow and, and to, to wrap their minds around. It's the simple duty and diligence of building a life of prayer and how that affects everything around you, how that affects the people around you. And I saw that and I just thought, that's it. Now, you may wonder, hearing this, 
You know, why, why are we not called the house of prayer? Why is it the Vineyard Church of Holy Springs? You know, why, why did I not do that? And here's the thing. I, I, I believe it's more of a, a nickname than, than a name itself. And also, I don't want to put the name before us as a, a certain thing of like, this is our identity. This is what we're going to do. I want that nickname to be earned. I want that nickname to be something that we have been doing so faithfully and so beautifully for years and years that you just know that this is a house of prayer. The richest times in, in this church, I, I, I want to tell you, are probably our pre-service prayer times. Um, there's something wonderful about when we start praying together. And everybody's welcome. Th- this is not an, an exclusive club, um, but we meet before every service we start praying. We start, we ask people, you know, what has the Lord been saying to this week? How does that relate to what we're doing here this morning? We'll sit, we'll pause, we'll wait, we'll share prophetic words, we'll open scripture, we'll pray for the people that are going to be coming. We do it every Sunday at 9.15, come join us. It's been one of the most foundational times for me. And one of the things that, that I've seen and one of the things I've expected is that God begins connecting dots. Things that, that, that he has whispered to me during the week for the sermon, things that, that are, are a key that the Lord is not just in a book, but he's actually speaking. He has a purpose, he has an intent. And it, it's come to the point where, like, if we don't hear those things mentioned in pre-service prayer, I'm really worried. It's like, wait a minute, did I not hear correctly this week? Like, are, are we off? Like, what, what's going on? And I, I want to say it's like maybe 95% of the time these things are like one heartbeat and we're going there. And again, it's not because we're so wonderful. It's because God is so wonderful. It's because he is so faithful to lead us if we would be a people who listen. So I think we like this idea. I doubt that whenever I said house of prayer, anybody here is like, no, I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with that. that. That sounds like, you know, horrible, evil stuff or, or you know, you say house of prayer, people are going to say, that sounds great. Sure, let's, let's do that. But I think it's something that we don't fully understand how it's going to relate to us as a church, as a body, or people. House, this home base, this safe place, place where I belong, this idea of prayer as communing with God, intimacy, where our longing is articulated and understood and satisfied. Those are just tidbits. That's not what I'm going to be speaking about. But that idea of home, like we belong in this place. This is our safe spot. This is our our home base. We're going to go from here out to the world. We're going to go from here back to my house. We're going to go from here back to work. We're going to go from here to my friends' houses, to my neighborhoods. Something from here is going to affect and change the way that we are out there. And this idea of prayer actually being satisfied, a, a longing that, that I need to articulate, a longing that is birthed from something deep inside that I can f- somehow put out there, and God hears it, and he says, yes, that's a part of me, that, that's my kingdom. You're asking for my kingdom to come, and, and he wants to satisfy that. He wants to make that a reality and not just a longing. Biblically, the, the context where this comes from matters so much. If you've got your, your Bible, you can open to Isaiah 56, this is where it comes from. Isaiah 56, 1 through 8. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand. My righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant, 
To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name and will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, who hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, the sovereign Lord declares. He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. Now, what a wonderful passage, but the whole idea of this house of prayer as we talk about it is for those not a part of it yet. The whole idea of this is a home for those people who have no home. It's a place where those who are far away can say, I belong there. It's a home for the eunuchs. You know what the eunuchs are? Okay, you know what the eunuchs are. It's a home where they can say, I have sons and daughters, where they have a family and they have a legacy which they never expected to have. And they could never have naturally. But here in this house of prayer that God has made, they've been gathered together and they've been gifted something unexpected. And God said, that's it. That's what I'm doing. It's not just for those who are already here. Yeah, there's some people here, but I'm opening these doors wide. This is their home. The house of prayer is by default, by design for others. It's communal. When we think of house, when we think of our home, often it's very exclusive, right? It's often like my, my nuclear family. We live in a nuclear family society. We don't have a multi-generational support structure like, like some other places do. You know, it's, it's me, my wife, and, and my kids, and, and that's what we have. And, and that's my home. That's my house. That's what I got. And, and if you're not a part of the, the four of us, then sorry, that's not your house. That's not your home. And I remember this one time I was in England for work, and there was this guy who was visiting from India. And, uh, and he came out there, and, and I, I think he was smoking while, while we were hanging out on, on the porch eating some food. And, and he wanted to talk because he was so, so excited. His first time outside of India, and he was so eager to meet foreigners and, and exchange words. And he wanted to practice his English, so he's going on with us, and it's great stuff. And he began talking to my coworker who had a son who was about to graduate from high school. And my coworker made the, the joke, you know, once he graduates, whoop, he's out. You know, he's like, What? Like, well, yeah, once he graduates, you know, he's, uh, he's on his own. Like, uh, good luck, son. You know, I hope you can, can find your own way. And, and my, my, uh, the, the, our new friend from, from India was appalled at this. He goes, how dare you? Like, how dare you exclude your son? Like, how do you expect him to find his own way? Like, there, there's no way he possibly could do that. Like, you need to invite him. In. Where are your parents? You need to have, and his idea was that, that home, this idea of safety, is a place where everybody can come there. If you are a close blood relative, if you are a remote blood relative, if you are a close enough friend that this is your home, this is all for you. And so we, we asked him about his, his house, and he said, there's like, you know, 20, 30 people. He doesn't even know how many people are living in there right now. And they come and, and go, but this is their house. And then they go, they make money, they help pay, and everything goes, and they, they move on. It was a completely different understanding of home than what we have. And I think when we think of the house of prayer and our understanding of exclusive nuclear family safety, it's only those who look like me, smell like me, you know, that, that, that I can call in the, this part, we're missing what God was saying. 
My house will be a house of prayer for all nations. That's the design. That's the plan. That's the purpose. But we can actually keep reading this. It's not a restricted community. It's always communal. It's not just my house where I can go shut the door and windows and declare that I'm king under the mountains. Because this is what he says. Notice the little caterpillar. You see that on the slide? It, because he's going to devour. See, Sometimes uh, Microsoft PowerPoints give you suggestions for design. And I saw that one and thought, yeah, I like that one. I'm going to leave that here because you're going you're to hear this. Come, all you beasts of the field. Come and devour all of you beasts of the forest. Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They are all mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. They are dogs with mighty appetites. They never have enough. They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way. They seek their own gain. Come, each one cries, let me get wine. Let us drink our fill of beer, and tomorrow will be like today, or even far better. There's a rebuke. So here God is saying, I'm going to open up my house. I'm going to make this for the eunuchs. I'm going to make this for the foreigners. This is the house of prayer for all nations. Why? Look at what Israel's doing. They've been selfish. They're trying to, be, to be, get fat at this table. They're turning away from, from other people. They're turning to themselves and saying, I'm going to satisfy my appetites. I'm going to take care of myself. And what he's saying is they're going to get devoured. They might think that this is their safety net. They might think that they're going to be safe here. They might think that this is their home base. But this isn't there. I'm going to call these people to come in here and kick them out. This isn't going to work out that way. Because this is always meant to be my house. It's God's house. It's not our own house. Does your house have, have house rules, like what you can do to, to participate in this family, to be a part of it or not? The number one thing is it is God's house. I think of the, the Under Armour commercial, you know, we must protect this house. Like, like there, there is a powerful thing when we realize God is the one designing this thing. We can't just come in, kick our feet up, and say, well, I'm here now, God. You gotta, you're going to have to evict me. You know, and you know what a painful process that is. You know, it's going to be really long and laborious, and you know, the courts are going to get involved. It, 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 we're, we're in for a long time, God, if you don't want me here. No, it's God's house. Make no mistake about that. It's his house, his rules. And he is inviting the foreigners, the eunuchs, those who never thought they could have a place to call their own. And how dare we, how dare anybody try to exclude somebody that God has included? How dare we ever exclude anybody that God has said, come close to me? When God has said, I love you and I forgive your sins and I have made a way for you. How dare we say, yeah, but here, maybe you could have a home there. How dare we? That is not the house of prayer for all nations. That's the rebuke. So let me ask you, which fits our culture, our neighborhoods, more appropriately today? When you think about your, your neighbors, when you think about your house, which one is more like it? This is a house for everybody. Come here, foreigners. Come here. Call this your home or let me drink my fill of beer. Let, bring me my wine. I, I, today is a great day. Tomorrow is going to be far better. Like, I'm living in the moment. Which one fits our houses more? Does the rebuke hit for the Israelites or when God's declaring that his house rules, saying my house will be a home for all? 
This is where the house of prayer comes from biblically. Most of, most of us are familiar with what Christ said in Matthew 21. Jesus entered the temple courts. He drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And I couldn't stop there. That, that's the end of kind of what we're talking about. But the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. I think it's so important to include that. The, the fact that he's cleaning house leads to the next. <laughs> All right, I, I believe that the, these things are, are linked. It's so easy to stop conceptually whenever we've hit the point that we're talking about, right? You know, it, you're making it a den of robbers. Your imagination can go. But where does scripture go? The blind and the lame came to him at the temple where he had just cleaned house, where he had just made things back, where he called back the house of prayer name, where he said, this is God's house. And what happens? He healed them. He healed them from that place. In context here, he didn't make up this term. I don't know if you know that. Jesus didn't say den of robbers just because it was creative and it feels like a good insult at the time. Den of robbers uh, comes from Jeremiah 7. Jeremiah 7, 1 through 12. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house. All right, so again, have this idea. Standing at the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. The temple. All right, just pause on that. Reform your ways and actions, and I will let you live in, in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you're trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Pause on that again, and remember that he was saying, don't believe those deceptive words that said, this is my temple. The point is, you've been calling this home. You don't even know what home is. You think that this is God's house. You haven't even set foot into God's house. Why? Because we're the fatherless. We're the widows. You've been shedding blood. You've been using this for personal gain. You've made this exclusive. You've cut out the people God's calling. It cannot be my house if my people are not there. If God's family's not there, this is just some weird building with some weird pillars up front, and, and it's got some gates before it. Don't believe those people when they say, this is the temple. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incest to Baal, and follow other gods you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, we are safe? Safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. I left that last verse in there again because it's the important to understand God's not building a house for somebody. It's not a guest house in the back. You live there, I'm going to live here. It's not this idea of like separation. This is my dwelling. He made a place where he will be, put his name on the door, and then he said, you all come in. 
It's a commune. <laughs> the house of prayer is a commune, and you're called to be a part of it. And, and not, I want to say, in some figurative way that's just like, oh, here's a mental exercise for you. Kind, kind of work this thing out in your head. The idea is the temple was the heartbeat of the life. You go there, made your home there, being there in the morning, the noon, at night. I, I love the person who pointed out to me that there was a, always a sacrifice being offered by the priests. It's like a barbecue. Like God's house has a barbecue going all the time. You know that smell when your neighbors are lighting the grill? You're just like oh, honey, I think we should like the grill too. You know, like, like God always has the ribs going. It's a fantastic place to live next to. And the incense being offered up. You know, you, I, I, Leah gets nervous sometimes. We have a dog. Uh, it's, a, it's a husky. Hair all over the place. She gets nervous about the smell of our house. She really does, you know. She, she's worried that people are going to walk in her house, they're going to smell dog, and they're going to be like, oh, I don't feel comfortable here. We don't know if it smells or not because, you know, we're used to it. But she's always mindful of this. She always wants to make sure when people walk in, it's welcoming. It's something where you feel like you can kick your feet up, where you know that there's food here for you, where you're not offended by, by the, this, the BO because, you know, Josh hasn't showered in a week because his wife was at a women's retreat. You know, whatever it might be. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's going to be on the podcast. So, <laughs> so. This idea of a den of robbers, the Hebrew scriptures, they often use parallelism. They would have one line, then they have another line. Sometimes it reinforces the same idea. It's like the same thing restated with different words. Sometimes it's going to be the opposite idea. It's using a contrast. So we have house of prayer. We have den of robbers. House is compared to den, and prayer and robbery are being linked. A den compared to a house. A house is safety, like we said. It's intimate. It's permanent. It's comfortable. A den is clumsy. It's uncomfortable, and it's temporary shelter. You just kind of hole up there for the night. It's one of those places. It's like a, a hostel. You know, <laughs> you just, just hole up there for the night, get through, and maybe don't speak of it ever again. But prayer as the opposite of robbery. Robbery, we know, it's taking something that doesn't belong to you. Prayer in this context is giving away something that does belong to us. Prayer, in this context, is giving away something that belongs to us. God's given us something. It's ours. And we give it away. That's the opposite of robbery. It's like, I have all this stuff. Now you have all this stuff. What's mine is yours. And you don't have to say what's yours is mine because I'm giving away all that I have. Because God gave it to me. And I have so much more where it came from. Whatever I have is yours. Prayer is giving away that which has already been given to us. So when it's forgiveness, when it's repentance, when it's freedom, when it's peace, when it's glory, when it's understanding, when it's revelation, all these things we pray for, we give it away. I think most of the time, church, we are frustrated with our prayer lives because they're so selfish. They're so selfish. And we think there's nothing wrong with praying for myself because there's not. Christ did it, and, and we do this, but we have made these walls in my prayer life where I will not give to somebody else. I won't, I won't even consider those other people until I'm in a better spot myself. I'm a mess. I'm a mess, and I need this. I'm a mess, and I, I, need, some, I need a new house, and I need a new job, and I need more money. So I, I need to take care of these things first. And then we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and we think, well, I, maybe I don't have enough faith, or I pray, and it just feels like words, and I'm lost. I don't know what's going on. Just try this. <laughs> just Try changing your prayer cycle. Just try giving it away, focusing on other people, 
giving away what God has given to you already, whatever it may be. Do you believe that you've been forgiven? Forgive others. Can you start there? That's scriptural. You, you shouldn't need some, some feeling of being forgiven for this one. The Lord says this in scripture. So you can start with that and offer forgiveness because you've been wronged. I know you have and unjustly so. And it, it's easy to forgive somebody whenever, you know, it's kind of like justified, like, yeah, I was kind of a jerk and, you know, but we're, we'll, we'll just call a spade a spade and we'll just forgive each other and move on and it, it's adequate. It is hard to forgive somebody when you're actually and truly wronged. And it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like justice. And I, I don't want to. That's the kind of forgiveness that scripture is actually meant for. Not the other one. Not the one that you can do on your own. Not the one that's easy. Not the one that, that is just over and, and, and gone in five minutes. But the ones that cost you, that require you to turn the other cheek, the ones that actually, you know, put our Lord on the cross, that forgiveness is really hard to come by. It's very challenging. Prayer is giving away these things that do belong to us. So what does it take to make th this change? What did it take to go from a house of prayer to a den of robbers? What, what has happened to make this change of that sacred space? It's not just ignorance, all right? It's not just like, oh, we didn't know. <laughs> and it's not trespass. And I think sometimes we think of trespass in this idea of a home, right? You walk into somebody else's house, you're trespassing. And you feel like, ooh, my bad. Like, I didn't, I didn't realize that this was your space. Like, I, I don't want to be in your space. I'll, I'll come back. I'll, I'll, I'll give you your adequate space, and I'll, I'll retreat. And I think when we think of trespassing into the kingdom of God, we think that that's what the Pharisees were doing. We, we think that they, they somehow violated the sacred space. But that's not it. What does it take to get thrown out of your own house? Real question. Like, what violation could you make to get somebody thrown out? Is, is it like drunk and disorderly? Is it murder? Murder is a pretty good reason for somebody to not be welcome back. You know, spilling something on the carpet, that's a little weak, you know. What rules do you have that would get somebody thrown out of your house? Is it doing the gator chomp? Because I got to tell you, in my house, if you come in doing the gator chomp, I'm not sure you're going to be welcome. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny because the sports metaphors uh, often is this is our house, right? This is our, our home. And the home team has this advantage. The home team has this understanding that, that we're here and, and they're the away teams. Uh, we were a deeply fan. Georgia Bulldogs, if you don't know me, Georgia Bulldogs, my team. <laughs> and we were, we were deeply offended when we lost to South Carolina. Not because we lost. That hurt. Don't get me wrong. Not happy about that. But we were deeply offended because when we lost, do you know what they did? They broke our hedges. They went and they took from, that. Were the, our field is known as between the hedges. And it's lined by these historic hedges that have been there the entire time. And the players, when they won, broke off part of the hedges, put them on their, their heads like a, like what, whatever you would call it, like a, the, Greek, the, the Greek thing, put them in their teeth, chewing on them and everything. And this is not the first time that this has done, been done to us. Like, it's like when, they, when somebody beats us in our stadium, they do that. That's the part that's like upsetting. You know, it's like, okay, you came here, you, you beat us, but you've now disrespected our house. The worst part about it, mind you, and I'll get off this football tangent in a second, Will Muschamp was their coach, South Carolina's coach. He played at Georgia, 91 through 94. 
And then there's a picture of him with the hedges up in his head. It's like, he knows he should know better. This was his house. Like, how dare you? You know what I mean? It's one thing to lose. It's one thing to be, you know, disrespect. It's another thing to just disrespect this in such an extent that you're taking away from this, that you're, you're making a mockery of this thing. What does it take for God to say, my house of prayer has become a den of robbers? Those money changers did it. They did it. Making money, selling things, you know, kind of just like doing their own thing. No mindset of, of where they were. Like they used to be outside the courts to, to kind of do their business. And then they just kind of, it's more convenient if we just do all this in here. And it's the same thing. What we're doing out there, it's the same thing we're just doing it in, in here. And Jesus saw that. And he said, no, not in my house. Not in my house. That's not what this is about. You're, you're, you're trying to make a quick buck here. You're, you're taking advantage of God's people. You're, you're changing the whole idea of what we're doing in here. You're crowding out the place where the foreigners, where the eunuchs are being welcomed here. And you're saying, now here's where I'm going to set up my stand. And this is where you can give me money and I'll make some deal with you and we'll haggle a little bit. You know, it's, it's, it's like what we do out there. We're just going to, just for convenience sake, we'll do it here. Jesus saw that and he said, no. You've taken this house of prayer. You've made it a den of robbers. Brandt mentioned a, a very interesting and important question. He mentioned this in a sermon. You know, how does the center set model apply to the church? And this is a big vineyard idea that we're all towards Jesus. The center of this isn't the pastor. The center of this is not vineyard USA even. The center of this whole thing is Jesus. And as long as you're following Jesus, as long as you're coming close to Jesus, you're in the kingdom of God. Like, how fantastic. You could, your life could be a mess. You could be lost in your sins. You could be a million miles away, but your eyes have looked up and you've seen the glory of God and you said, there's hope there and I want to find my way there and I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I'm going to take a step. And when you take that step, this center set model says, you're in. That's it. You're a part of us now because you're coming towards the center. You're not going away. You're coming towards. Those money changers were in the temple courtyard. They're like close where God's made his dwelling, where he put his name. And Jesus said, get out. <laughs> they were so close and so far away. They had turned their back on the idea of what God was doing here. They were selling admission to the kingdom of God using worldly currency. How dare they? How dare they? Christ extended mercy to those he met everywhere, tax collectors, prostitutes, social outcasts, but he hated hypocrites. Jesus really hated hypocrites. He had harsh words for those, those who had tasted and seen and should know better, those who were inside and yet treated as something common. It's not our home. My, my parents drilled into me that this old saying, Fish and visitors stink after three days. I don't, I don't know if that's still wisdom that's being thrown around, but fish and visitors stink after three days. The overall, a, a good idea for this teaching is, is that we can understand that, that it, it's guests, how to be a good guest in God's home. I think that's something we can mentally wrap our minds around. It's like, okay, I want to be a good guest when I come to God's house. And the idea is like a bad guest, if I start criticizing your decor, right? If I walk in and I, and I, I treat this idea of, of your home like, you know, eh, it's, I'm not really great here. If I try to discipline your kids with my rules, that's one thing. Because person not about us. It's not our home. It, it, it's not our name on the door. If I don't take off my jacket, another way of looking at this, if I don't take off my jacket, I come to your house and I'm so uncomfortable the whole time, 
right? I'm a bad guest because I, I, can I take your coat? No, 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 it's fine. You want to have a seat? No, 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 it's fine. Do you want some tea? No, no, no. You've had guests, guests like that, right? And it's awkward for everybody because it's like, would you just be comfortable here? Like, accept my hospitality. And I think if we understood this as guests, it makes sense. But this idea, this teaching is altogether something different. It's not about being good guests in God's home. The idea takes this whole idea of guests and visitors one step further. Because even as good guests, if you come and go as you please, you never settle. You always keep this distance. You never come too close. That's not prayer. That's different. The idea is that we're not guests. This is our house. It's our house. Not as like a temporary shelter. Not as a den. Not as in, you can hole up here for the night. If you crash here, that's fine. It's not a hotel that you stay in. The idea of the house of prayer, this is your home. You belong here. You have a legacy here. Your kids, whether they're spiritual or physical, they have a home base here. Your name is that same name on the door. I have given you my name. It's ours. We're in this thing together. Guests are no longer the, the metaphor that we have to work with. But I think most Christians, myself included, struggle with this idea of prayer because we think of it as we're visiting God's space. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend some time with God. I'm, I'm going to check that out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go by. I'm going to see what it smells like. There's a barbecue. I'm, I'm going to spend an hour with him, then, then come back to my place. Then there I can settle down. There I feel like I'm at home. I'm going to go be there for as long as it's comfortable, and, and then I'm going to say, okay, now, now, it's, now it's me time. <laughs> now I need to decompress in my own room. Now I need to do those things. Now I'm going to have my, my beer and my wine and say, today was a good day, and tomorrow's going to be far better. That's not what this was about, ever. In Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Matthew, this whole time, my house is your house. And if you don't think that this is your house, the eunuchs, the foreigners, this is going to be their house. I'm going to make this so that they know that they have a home here. Pray without ceasing is exhausting when we think about it as an exercise or an activity that we need to try to do every day. Like, oh my goodness, I have to pray without ceasing. That's so many words. Like, I can't even pray for five minutes and you're telling me in the Bible to pray without ceasing. Do you know how easy it is to pray without ceasing when you're just at home? When you're just talking in the same house? When you realize that this is where I belong and everything's great here? Then there's beauty and power and invitation. John 1.14, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. It's his dwelling. He came, he brought his home, he put it in the middle of us. And they said, now you come here and you make this your home too. That's what happened. The house of prayer where God came. It was a temple, then it became Christ. It's this Holy Spirit in us. It's not a physical place. It's not a church. It's not, it's not this thing, but it's the attitude that we bring when we pray. Is it our, our native language or is it a foreign tongue? Are we visiting? Are we guests? Or do we recognize that this is my house? Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the church from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. I believe that. If we are not praying, we are no threat. 
And again, why do we think we pray? Why do we think that this stuff matters? Because we just need to be like exercising our bodies. We need to exercise our spiritual sides. You know, like we just, it's just what good Christians do. You know, like, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't curse really, you know, except whenever we're really mad. We don't, we don't drink well, except, you know, maybe just a glass here or there. We, we don't, whatever it is, like we, we write these things off and we're like, yeah, but, but, you know, and, and we pray. That's, that's one of those, we read the Bible and we pray that that's, that's a, that's a good Christian life. There's so much more. There's so much more. And I think we've shortchanged this idea and we've missed the boat on what this can be for us. We have to get outside the, uh, the idea that prayer's words are an action we make to justify a requirement. It's sharpening our swords spiritually. Sharpening our swords. It's focusing our aim. It's making sure we know where we're going. His disciples saw Jesus praying, and they'd been praying themselves for a long time, and they said, teach us how to pray in 11.1, Luke 11.1. Why is that? They saw him doing something, and it was foreign to them. They're like, okay. I, I thought I was praying this whole time, but you did something there. How did you do that? Like, what, what was it? It's like, imagine you saw somebody breathing, and you thought, oh, I've been breathing wrong my whole life. Like, <laughs> I had no idea that the breath could be so satisfying, so filling. And you saw Christ pray, and you're like, teach me. Teach me. You're like, you're not just saying help. You're not just saying forgive me. You're, you're praying in, in a way that... that Really, I've never known. So the disciples said, teach us how to pray. I think we have such a low view of prayer that we don't think we need to be taught. Or it's, it's a high prideful view of ourselves. We don't need to be taught. I, I, can, I can handle this. I can throw some words together, you know, or at least in the quiet of my heart. I'll just say my thoughts. <laughs> my thoughts are my prayer. And we just, I think these things and, and we let that go. And, and, and I'll let that be. Prayer is such an amazing thing discipline and duty and responsibility and house to find ourselves in. So, just in summary, the house of prayer has to be communal. Has to be communal. It's not private and personal. What does it say about hospitality that perhaps the most pronounced thing that God cares about his house is that it bears his name and welcomes all. That's it. That's hospitality. That's the house of prayer. Those far away come close Christ did get away by himself to commune with the Father one-on-one. And that's a different exercise than, than going to the house of the Lord. Those are, are different activities. We could talk about that one too. But that's different. We're in this thing together. Prayer is communal, generous, and powerful. I think we're frustrated by prayers that are too selfish. Don't turn down God's invitation to come home. Don't turn down God's invitation to come home. He made you a house. He put his name on the door, said, this is your house now. Live here. Dwell here. Dwell here. Don't treat his hospitality with disdain. Church, we need his house of prayer to be our home base. We need his house of prayer to be our home base. If, if we're to have any success in this world, if we're going to have any success in ministry and evangelism and, and power evangelism, if we're going to have any fruit of the Holy Spirit growing off of our, our vines, this has got to be our home base. Now, here's the thing. Now, to turn this into ministry time, you can't accomplish this in ministry time, right? Like, what, what could you possibly, like, this is a lifestyle change. This, this is a, a shift in personality. That's, the, that's how I want to pray for you this morning. That, that's really it. If, you, if this feels foreign to you, if you don't feel welcome in the house of God, now, there's another thing about feeling intimidated. <laughs> if you don't feel welcome, if you feel like you've been excluded and like you really don't belong, like, 
yeah, that, that's a nice thing for some Christians to think. But, you know, I'm one of those other. I'm, I'm kind of on the periphery. I'm on, I'm on the outside looking in thinking, I'll, I'll spectate from here. I'm going to keep my safe distance. I want you to know that this is a house for you. The house, our house, for you. <laughs> it's, not, it's not just like, yeah, you can stay here on the couch. You can put your toothbrush in this cup on, on, the, on, the, on the sill and, and you can be here for, you know, until you get your feet underneath you. This is for you. And if you don't know that, if you don't have that, if you don't have that, that relationship, that communication, we want to minister. We want to bless you to say, welcome home. Welcome home. Take your shoes off. <laughs> Something we need to commit to. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for your invitation to us. And Father, we are, we're not visitors. <laughs> we weren't called to stay on the outside looking in. But that you truly, intentionally and meaningfully invite us into your house. That you gave us a place to stay, not for a night or the weekend, but a house, your house. And Father, as we look at this church, as we build as best as we can some place where others can come in and see you and recognize you, may we recognize this as the house of prayer. Church, I bless you this week to go with God, to recognize his house is yours. Don't just visit with him. Live with him. Pray this in his name. Amen.